Turn over to Revelations chapter 2. We're going to continue in the seven churches. Tonight we're going to talk about the church of Thyatira. Thyatira. I always want to put another R in there. I don't know about y'all. We're going to be starting in verse 18 of chapter 2. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which you have already hold, but that which you have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give him power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As we look at this church tonight, you know there's a whole lot of words there, but uh, there's really not as much about this church to cover as some of the others. But, you know, I want you to look at, let's look at the good things first, because that's, you know, Jesus first mentions the good things, so let's talk about that. Uh, the good things He pointed out is their charity, their service, their faith, their patience. And He mentions at the end of, um, let's see, what verse was that? The end of verse 19, he says, the last to be more than the first. He's talking about their, their works, their, their fruitfulness. And you know, this one particular point, not that the others are any less, but this is one particular point I want to talk about for a little bit. You know, this is an important part of not only being a Christian, but having a, a good, strong church is that, that your works are always increasing. That you're always remaining fruitful. You know, the Word tells us something about... Uh, I believe Jesus gave a parable that talked about the, the tree or the vine that, that no longer produced fruit. And what did He say? He said it would be cut off. So, this was a, a very important aspect of this church is that not only were they, were they continuing to be fruitful... But their works had increased. 
It said that the, the last was greater than the first. So see, they didn't just start doing good things and continue in that and never grow any. They continued to grow and to expand and to do more and more and more as God provided for them. So that is very important when we're looking at this church. It's an important aspect of it. <clears throat> That's how all of our lives should end up. When you know, There's going to come a day when we're examined. The works that we have are going to be tried by fire, the Word says. And whatever remains is what good works we had. The wood, the hay, the stubble is all going to be consumed. And what that's talking about is the things that are not good works. The things that are not based upon godly principles. Okay, so let's get into the bad. The one thing he talks to him about is this Jezebel. Now we know something about Jezebel from the Old Testament. She was the wife of King Ahab. She was often uh, known for her uh, the way she would dress and the makeup, and you know she was her intention was to lead astray these young Israelite men. Is what her point was, and she was a part of the worship of Baal, and she had a part with the servants of those, you know, those that worship Baal. So she was always trying to divide and lead astray and to tear apart what God was trying to do with the nation of Israel. So I don't believe that this person that Jesus calls Jezebel is the same as the one in the Old Testament. But what he's trying to get across to us is that it's the same character. It's the same actions. that, and, and that's why he's comparing her to that Old Testament person. So what was the problem here with, with Jezebel? And why is it important uh, to mention this in this church? Well, the problem is they had allowed this person to teach and they had allowed this person through that teaching to mislead God's servants. You know, we talked last time that we talked about these seven churches, we talked about Pergamos and how their problem was they had allowed false doctrine to come in. Well, see, this almost sounds like the same thing, but it's not quite the same. Because, you see, he doesn't, he doesn't place blame on the, the church body the blame he places here, if you do some studying and reading and trying to understand, you'll find that the blame he's placing more closely falls onto the pastor. Because you see, the pastor wasn't teaching things that were wrong, but he was allowing this Jezebel to teach things that were wrong, to lead astray the servants of God that the Scripture says here. And you know, when you look at this, you first think, well, she was trying to bring them into fornication. But what I found through my studying is that this is spiritual fornication. This 
Spiritual fornication is idolatry. You get into worshiping other gods, it's a spiritual type of fornication. And she was also leading them into practices of eating the meat that was offered to other idols. This is all falls into the same, you know, idolatrous nature. So Jesus said that he would cast her into a bed. That bed is a lake of fire. I want you to notice that he says that he will kill her children with death. Man, that sounds rough. Not only is he going to kill her, but he's going to kill them with death. It's kind of like you're you're overdoing it, you know. But what he's talking about is he's going to they're going to experience the second death. I talked to you about the why he didn't condemn the whole church. And if you look and you'll see that he goes on to talk about there near the end that that he wouldn't place this burden upon everybody because not everybody uh, aligned themselves with this person. Why isn't it that? Why doesn't he hold the whole church responsible here? Why isn't the people that just come on Sunday just as responsible as the pastor? It's because they don't have the authority. You know, if if you just come into church on Sunday and, and you do your part and you go home, you don't have authority to come and, and tell somebody you need to quit doing that. You need to quit teaching because you're, you're teaching wrong. That's not your place to do that. Now, it may be that, that you need to inform the pastor, hey, I think there's something going on over here that you need to investigate. But it's the pastor's place to make sure that the sheep are being fed the proper food. It is the pastor's responsibility to ensure the safety of the sheep. So you see, what Jesus was was saying here is that I'm not going to hold everybody responsible. I'm going to hold the pastor responsible because he's allowing this to go on. Because he's not doing anything to, to remedy this situation. He's allowing her to lead people astray. I believe there are many people that knew about her false teaching. But like I said, it wasn't there. They didn't have the authority to do anything about it. A pastor is not only supposed to preach the Word of God, he's supposed to make sure everything else that's being taught is, is right also. You know, that's a tough job sometimes. Sometimes it means that there's confrontation. Sometimes it means that you have to kind of get into other people's business, so to speak. But I'm the one that's going to be held accountable for that. It's my responsibility. But I want you all to notice that through all of this stuff that was going on, this church was still producing 
more and more good fruit. Now, isn't that amazing? You you would think when when Satan rears his ugly head in a church and he he brings in this false prophet and starts to try to try to divide and lead people astray that the church wouldn't be able to prosper. You would think that that when he comes in through another person and begins to do the evil that he's about, trying to divide the people, trying to tear down everything God is trying to accomplish, that that the church would begin to dwindle away. But through all this, this church, they still prospered. Jesus still complimented them on their service, their faith, their patience, and their works that had increased. So you see, even though the pastor had had slipped up and he had allowed this thing to happen, apparently he was still doing some good. Apparently he was still teaching and that, that the people were hearing the Word and, and the Word was going forth and there were some things being done for the kingdom of God. I'm going to read some Scripture to you from Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the treasure of his hearth bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Now you know people often use that that little phrase there when somebody says a you know a cuss word or something like that. They'll say, "Well, from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh." Well, that's used in a negative connotation. But understand that it works the other way too. When you hear good things come out of somebody's mouth, it's from the abundance of the heart that people talk and say the things they say. You know, that doesn't mean somebody can't put on a a false front. But what I want you to understand and see in this, this particular church that we're talking about is the Word must have been going forth. The abundance of their heart was still in line with God. And you understand that this was just a small portion of the church that was following this Jezebel. Because of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, this doesn't apply just to individual people. It applies to the church as well. When when you see a church that is accomplishing and moving and growing, you know the greatest portion of that church is in line with God. When you see nothing but good fruit... The tree must be good. It may have a bad branch here and there. But it's the it's the trunk and the roots that really matter. If there's still life there, there's there's gonna be good things come out of it. Let's see what verse is this. Verse 25, back and over in Revelations. 
He says, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. He's talking about the Word. I'm going to be careful how I say this because I don't want to confuse anybody or say the wrong thing. But they already had the Word, okay? Now I understand that obviously this book of Revelation was being written at this time that I'm saying they already had the Word, but they already had a large portion of the Word of God. He's telling them to hang on to that. Quit looking for this new new uh, revelation that people are coming in saying, oh, God gave me this Word for y'all. God, God's telling me to, to tell y'all this. and He said, quit looking for all that stuff. I've already given you the Word. That is what you need to be looking to. Amen. Does that mean that, that we should ignore all prophecy? No. But if somebody comes to you and tells you that they've got this new revelation that they've found in the Word of God, you better listen closely. You better make sure that the thing they're telling you really lines up with what you already know about the Word. And it better line up with what the Holy Spirit tells you in your heart. If if somebody tells you something and, and your first inclination is to kind of step back and look at them like they're kind of crazy, there's probably a reason why. Because it, it, didn't, it didn't bear witness with your spirit. So understand that, yes, there is prophecy. I do believe that the Holy Spirit still works through people and that there are prophetic messages. But you know what? I have never one time heard one in my life that was something that wasn't already in the Word. Everything I've ever heard that was prophetic usually is based on the Scripture. The times that God has spoke to me and and told me a little something about something I was praying for in the future, He uses His Word to to confirm it. So you see, when somebody comes and tells you this is something new, they're looking for something new. You ever heard anybody say that? Oh, we want something new to happen. I don't know, maybe maybe they're not meaning to say what, they, what they're saying, but I don't want something new. I might want something fresh, something that's going to refill me and rejuvenate me, but I'm not looking for some new thing. I want the thing that God has already done to be, to be manifested more in my life. That's what I'm looking for in my life, my relationship with God, is for Him to work more strongly in the same things He's already done in the past. So you see that new revelation is something that we really need to be leery of. Be watchful and mindful about the things you hear people say when they start talking about that kind of thing. The promise that Jesus makes at the end of this chapter ought to be a great source of joy. Why do I say that? Look at verse 26. I've already told you all that 
every one of these churches, the whole subject is about overcoming. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken up to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. What does that mean? What Jesus is talking about is how those of us that overcome and endure to the end, we're going to be reigning with Him. We already know this. It's in the Word. We're going to reign with Him on this earth. Now does that... You know, I'm not trying to to tell y'all that we're just going to be running things and I'm not, I'm not trying to exalt us in any way. I'm trying to say the source of joy ought to be that we're going to be with Him and He is going to exalt us and we're going to be glorified with Him. Amen. It says that He will give them the morning star. The morning star is Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be able to take part in all of that. We're going to be, we're going to be lifted up and and we're going to be restored to where we should have been. That's where the source of joy ought to come from. It's real easy when you're reading about these churches to to get lost in the bad and the gloom and the doom, but there's always that ray of hope at the end of each one of these sections that that reminds you that if, as long as you overcome and you endure... There's reward. Amen. We get lost sometimes in in all of the the punishment and the condemnation, but you never see any of that condemnation for those that overcome. All you see is reward. Amen. 